our first conference, Remade, Retail Media Unmade, is now less than a month away. Hear from the key players in one of the most talked about sectors and come away with your own retail media playbook. Remade takes place on March the 2nd in Sydney. Go to remade.net.au to find out more. It's a little more than two months since Ben Shepherd revealed that he's returning to the agency world as Chief Investment Officer of Dentsu's media portfolio. That makes him responsible for a media spend on behalf of clients of, I reckon, I'm sure Ben will put me right, well over a billion dollars. Now, I've been a fan of Ben's writing for many years, right back to when he won Industry Blog of the Year in the first ever Mumbrella Awards back in 2009. More recently, he published his own handbook about working in media. In fact, he almost was a journalist, but got the wrong day for his university entrance exam and ended up doing a business degree instead. Throughout his career, all the 15 years that I've been following him anyway, Ben has been consistently better informed and more outspoken than most He's even managed to do that while holding some big jobs. He's done agency roles with Mindshare, Maxus and OMD. He was briefly chief media officer for CHE Proximity. He's been inside the consultancies, including PwC and Bain and Company. And we will come on to all of that. Now, this is Ben's first podcast interview since taking the new gig. So let's start there. Chief Investment Officer, that makes you one of the gorillas with calculators. Um, I never quite saw you that way, Ben. Welcome, and please tell us about the new day job. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, long, long time listener, first time caller uh, for the Unmade podcast. Um, yeah, so Chief Investment Officer, uh, gorillas with calculators. I think that's a an interesting descriptor. Uh, I, I think in the way that. I looked at the opportunity of, of, of chief investment officer was investment such a sort of broad term. It can kind of mean anything you want it to mean. But fundamentally within media, generally the endpoint requires a, a level of investment of some variety. Um, historically, I think investments led more to trading. It, it probably has the opportunity, in my view, to to lean a lot further into strategic decision-making. And I would argue that investment is heavily strategic. If, if strategy in its purest sense is uh, making decisions on what to do and what not to do, investment's making those decisions <clears throat> all the time, every day, multiple times a day. So, and, and the forethought and the thinking and the context that is required to do that is, is, is really high. Uh, so, so for me... Uh, I'm really interested in, in media consumption, media trends and how people consume media and I love to find ways to turn that into actionable uh, activities, execution that, that generally, in my, in my hope anyway, helps clients sell more things. Uh, and, and I think that investment for, for me in this role is developing products, uh, propositions, data-led viewpoints on really important things. You know, how, how do you launch a new brand? How do you revitalize a, an existing one? What's the best way to look at you know, cr- cross-channel reach and frequency? Uh, all those different things. There's no shortage of, of pointy, sharp challenges. I think investment can effectively is, is, can widen its aperture as, as broad as you want, right, uh, to, to, to really tackle those. So, so for me, 
I, I hope over time I feel like a different type of, of chief investment officer for, for clients and, and for the people and also for, for media partners. So, so for me, it's really exciting. And I think, I think Dentsu share that ambition as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that it's, it's probably different for people. Um, and, and I think that's, <laughs> that's a really positive place to start. And I think, um, I think what you're saying as well is, I suppose if I think about the traditional sort of investment role, it's very much, it's where the agency or the person on behalf of the agency who talks to the media partners, and that's the key relationship. I, I think what I'm hearing you say is you, you still see yourself as having quite a lot to do with the client side of things as well. Absolutely. I, I think, I think you're right. I think historically, um, investment chief investment officers, investment heads uh, have, for one reason or another, been kind of not back office. That's probably the wrong term, but not front facing. Uh, really close relationships with media partners, maybe not as close relationships with clients. I think there's you can have both. I'm of the belief you you your real value in any sort of professional services firm is the impact you have on, on clients. They ultimately pay fees, um, they, they, pay, they pay salaries, uh, and, and they really, really value that. So for me, the, the wealth of knowledge and, and insight that a good chief investment officer can provide is really interesting for clients, if it can be packaged correctly. So, so for that sense, for me, I sort of think, well, that, that's a great opportunity. And, and my view, and I, I could be wrong, is that the role will evolve more into that, into more of a front-facing, um, you know, sort of hand-in-glove sort of strategic uh, lead uh, across these businesses because the, the wealth of information that, that can be uh, processed and analysed by that role, if you, if you just think about all those different data points and, and movements and consumption, you're just in a really good spot to help translate that um, into actions for for clients. So, so for me, I like I, I want. I mean, this morning I was speaking to clients. You know, now I'm in week three, week two. I was out doing the same thing. Um, I I really enjoy it, and I, I definitely don't want to be trapped and um, you know just speaking to media owners as, as much as I enjoy that as well. Um, you know, I, I want to sort of be playing on both sides. And presumably a, a big part of the cycle still is the annualised commitments, the annualised negotiations around price. Is that is that something that will be new to you or did you do that in your role at, at CHAP? No, I wouldn't say it's, it's new. Um, I've had vi- visibility and, and input on, you know, negotiations as such in, in – Every role I've had in an agency going back to Group M, you know, <laughs> 16 years ago. So I think that understanding of, of mutual value or, or sort of an ag- aggregated approach is, is not a new thing in terms of co- contribution for it, I guess, as the point person uh, in, in some ways. But, but yeah, at Chep, I played that role uh, on behalf of, you know, plenty of big clients, Samsung amongst them. So, it's not a, it's not a new thing. I think I think my perspective would be shaped by by my background. So I, I would probably think I approach it. I will approach it differently to other people. Um, and, and and again, I think that's great 
you know, I, I think if you can if you can get somebody who maybe necessarily hasn't grown up in that environment um, to, to to that level of depth, um, th- th- there's sort of like well, it's a lot of out of the possible, I guess, in terms of what you can do because you haven't really been told historically what you can't do or or the way things have been done. Um, so 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 my view on say a twenty three is well, like, um, you know, I have a lot of ambition for for. Uh, how we partner and 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 I think I think that yeah that that perspective I think is incredibly value for valuable for clients and, and the media so yeah that that's it's not it's it's something I'm I'm really excited um, to to get stuck into it's something I feel comfortable with um, and and yeah it's it's going to be uh, yeah it's going to be interesting and what is your negotiation style because I you know I, I yeah, I go back a little bit more than 15 years in, in writing about media. And I, you know, one of my first experiences I still remember was walking into the offices of Cara. So, you know, part of, obviously part of the Dentsu family now. And that was where I was told about the whole gorillas with calculators. And there was, there was literally the, 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 the angry looking bloke in the corner at his desk was shouting at someone on the phone. Um, I mean, that's, that was probably a cliche then, and it certainly is now. But how do you go about negotiating? I think the way I would I would characterize it is, I, I think I'm very very prepared, and I will. I think I've got a pr- pretty good um, nose for 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 value and 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 where things are sitting. I guess the the environment we're in. So I think my expectation probably is equal level of preparedness. Um, I think a, a, an ability to be like pragmatic and candid about um, the situation that, that, that you know b- both parties are in and what they can provide, um, and, and I think a really rational sort of f- fair outcome. I, I think if, if I'm being sort of candid, I, I, I don't think anyone responds well to. Um, a, high levels of emotion or high levels of, um, you know, noise or, or anger in, in those sorts of things. Um, and and so, so that's not something, I, you know, I would ever consider. Um, but, but I think, you know, you want to go in to every discussion with anybody with a really clear idea of, of as you walk in, an outcome that you, you think is the right outcome. Um, and, and then that's irregardless of, uh, of, negotiations or, or or just solving solving a problem so i think having an, an answer or a position is, is super critical uh, and and i think the any partner or client deserves a pretty well prosecuted case um, that gives them enough information to kind of provide a, a reasoned view so a, as we uh, work through all of these different things as, as the year goes on that's generally kind of the methodical approach i'll take um I, it's probably going to be relatively similar for for for, for most groups, um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it will it's generally well received. So that that's probably the way I'm looking at it. And I don't think, to be perfectly honest, that's really that different to what has probably come before. The the people at Dentsu I've spoken to uh, pretty much share the same sort of approach um, and and the same sort of reasoned rational um 
uh, way of, of building these relationships. So, so for me, I, I don't think it's going to be like a wholesale change. I think it's more additive than, than anything. And coming in, what do you see as the key challenges which are specific to Dentsu or your role? Um, I, I suppose what I mean is what is your mission sort of specific to that group? Because I, I guess it's just been on this journey over the last few years. I, I presume when you walk the corridors now, you're not really seeing the remnants of the last days of Harold Mitchell and partners anymore, but obviously it's evolved a lot over the years. In a really simple sense, I think in any, this sounds horribly conceited and it's not meant to, I think in any business, but an agency or any professional services business, you really sort of ultimately want two, two things. You want, you want to provide a service that your clients would recommend to their peers, uh, you know, hand on heart, you know, recommendation, personal recommendation. I think for people, uh, you want you want your best people to want their friends that work in the industry to to want to join them, and 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 have that. So I think that is a kind of core core goal is is really critical. Fiona Johnson talks about the pride she's got in what media does, and that a big part of her job and her jobs over time has been to instill that pride. And I think if I reflect, um, I, I possibly, I didn't, I don't think I lost pride in what media did, but I think I probably took it for granted a little bit. And as I sort of did, did more, say on, on consulting or, or full service, my, my interest in media never left. I was always really interested in it. Every day I would find something that I found interesting. But I think I started to realise through absence the, um, one, the, the complexity, and, and two, I, I think the legitimate kind of value that, that it provides. So for me, in, in considering this role and, and taking it on, I think the big question was, if I take on a role like this, I need to legitimately like look myself in the mirror and be proud to do what I do and not to think, oh, would it be more worthy if I did this or, or did this? And then if I can convince myself of that, am I going to be credible in convincing others to think the same thing and provide an environment that, that allows them to do that? So ultimately I'm here and so I, I believe that I can do that. And I believe the business can do that. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of things that underpin that. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice kind of ambition, um, but the execution is, is where it matters. So, And how far does the business have to go to get there from where it is now? I don't think it's, again, I think it's an, an evolution, not a revolution. There's been a tremendous amount of, of really complex but really important um, structural workings within a Dentsu that have created a really strong integrated proposition in terms of components. So it's really sort of two, two parts. You, you want to make the most of those integrated components and bring those to, to clients. And then you want to turn the media product ultimately into the best product in market. And I know Danny wants to do that. I know I want to do that. And and so... This is Danny Bass, your boss. Yeah, Danny Bass. Yeah. So... If you unpack that, that doesn't necessarily mean you want to be the biggest or or the most awarded. Or there's a whole bunch of different things that probably underpin that that that, that we think are important. But I think it's having excellent craft, excellent product, excellent processes, and, and fundamentally, 
uh, an end result or an end product that feels very cara, feels very I prospect. Uh, and there's a there's a pride in that, and there's a safety and reliability in that as well um, for clients. And I think if you sort of incrementally sort of improve on that over time, uh, you know, you get better as a business, you get sharper, you get more reps, you start winning more, um, you start having better conversations. And, and and I think now if you look at the business and you, you know, p- park historical headlines, there's so much to be optimistic about. So, so and, and I think it's testament to myself joining, Danny Bass joining, Fiona Johnson joining, and also the awesome people that we have in the leadership team uh, that, that shows that there's, there's plenty there. It's just probably a matter of shining a greater light on what exists within the business now. We've touched on um, the consultancy side of things. This is probably a good moment to talk about industry models. So you, you know, you've had the opportunity to see inside the consultancies and how they work. Um, you've seen inside the media agencies. You've been in the. I don't know if you would describe it as a hybrid or a full service agency environment of CHAP. Um, if you were a client today, how would you want your media partners to structure themselves? I think, look, there's a few things I'll, I'll try and break down and hopefully hopefully it makes some sense. I think if I was a client, the first thing I'd want is that you're answering the, the right questions. That's probably one. The, the, the right question is more or less about above market growth in, in a lot of instances or it's something that leads into that. It's an input into that. And there's going to be tons of briefs that maybe aren't directly about that, but indirectly I always believe most things uh, have some sort of linkage to that. So I think that as a client I'd want the confidence for my agency to help me deduce what the right question is. That's probably the first part. The second part I'd say is, and I, I probably have been as guilty of this as, as anybody uh, historically or in the past, is um, if you can identify the right question, uh, give me the answer in, in a really crisp way and, and, and don't spend the time that you have with the client uh, justifying how you got there uh, to, and then leaving no time to present the answer. I think it's a, a thing I really learned, especially at Bain, is it's just so incredible at distilling an answer and making it so, so good and then being able to explore rationale underpinning that. But but their, their commitment and their discipline around the answer is, is massive. And I feel in agencies we're constantly coming up with answers, but sometimes the answer can be buried under a lot of rationale and, and, and historically I, I had sometimes done that to try and instill confidence that the decision or the answer was credible. But I think a lot of the times ultimately it led to a, a really hard to engage with a, a provocational case uh, because there was so much density before the answer. So uh, I think that would be the second part is uh, get to the answer very quickly, very crisply. Third part I want from an agency is speed, speed and agility. Uh, I think speed is is super critical. Every executive team, every marketing team is working at pace, and and I I believe we, we 
could get better at working. This is as, as an industry at working at the same pace. And I've got a sort of metaphor for this. It's not like amazing, but uh, you know, a football coach they come up with a game plan before the game, but but during the game is really when they're earning their money. I think we spend a lot of time coming up with the game with the game plan before the game. Once the game is on, sometimes we kind of let and observe. I think there's incredible value to be had in amending what you do during the game at at pace and proactively. And so that would be the third thing I'd be thinking, how how can I get speed and and agility, the speed at which my business operates or faster? And then once things are in market, uh, how do I get the responsiveness and the ability to amend and change at a pace that that seems commensurate with with the consumer? And I think we speak a lot about that, but there's a, a lot of processes and there's a lot of ways of working and, and underpinning tools that, that probably don't allow that to happen as much. So that would be my third part. And then my fourth part is sort of a general thing uh, would be conviction in recommendation. I think we do really interesting work that is uh, well-researched, rational, uh, compelling, important in terms of client business. I think the confidence to stand behind that and the conviction to present an answer that may not be what the client is specifically wanting at that point and being okay w- w- with that and then being able to bend and flex but but really having conviction in the recommendation um, that, that we put forward. So I think that, and I think that's incredibly confidence inspiring. If you think about other professional services that we deal with as just general people, customers in the world, I think we all generally are pretty favorable to that. So I think those, those would be the four things. Now, whether they come from a consultancy or a media agency or a creative agency or whatever, I, I think that there's certain groups that are better at doing specific domain stuff than others. But I think if you can nail those four and your craft and, and subject matter expertise is, is strong, uh, it's it's pretty compelling. I think it's pretty valuable. And that's that's what I would be, I, as a, if I was a client, that's what I would be looking for, you know, strong indications that, that a, a partner could deliver on those four. Yes, it's it's interesting here you see it because I think it, it makes me see a couple of other things differently as well, one of which is um, I think I understand how, you've made the most of the opportunity of working within different structures as well. Cause I think one of the things I, you know, that struck me when I looked at your LinkedIn profile earlier, which obviously I was pretty familiar with your career anyways. Oh, okay. You, you know, you've changed roles more than most and more than I remembered sort of every couple of years or so. Um, and that's not what everyone chooses to do. And clearly you've done it enough times that that's a choice for you. Um, what, what makes you do it that way? Uh, I, I think it's a look. I think if you look at that uh, a situation with with any role uh, or, or any relationship, um, the, 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 you need to believe that, that you're having an impact, and and your impact and your drive and what you want to deliver uh, suits the, the business that you're in. And and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I think that's okay. I think in the instances of short tenure, um, you know the that there have been times where I've, I've felt I could make a greater impact elsewhere. It doesn't mean that I haven't had impact in those businesses. If I think about CHE proximity, 
I believe, without sounding conceited, I had a huge impact. You know, we won significant amounts of business that stays with it. It's allowed them to have a really strong media function. That's a massive part of the proposition. When I started, it wasn't that. Uh, so, so I'm really proud of that. Uh, but it got to a point where uh, I no longer felt that that I could do my my best work in the business. So I looked for another role, and one one presented. So, so I think it's a case of. If you can keep having that impact and, and there's an alignment there, uh, that's a, a sustainable environment. I, th- I think if it's not there, it's it's okay to, to call it, right? It's okay to say um, this has been really enjoyable but this opportunity looks really interesting and, and I believe I can I can give it a really strong strong crack. I think with, with Bain & Company was incredible. It's a really, really amazing inspiring business just jammed full of the most intelligent people I think I'll ever sit alongside in my life the and I was really enjoying the work with with Dentsu Danny called and 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 the opportunity sounded really pretty aligned to what I've kind of always wanted to give it a a crack and and I felt that at that 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 right at that time um that was a really interesting thing and and so for me it's always a case of well I didn't take it or I didn't look at it, would I regret it or would I see someone else doing it and be like, geez, that, that would have been interesting to have been that person. So so I think that's the way I look at it. I think a, a, a direct benefit of that is you, you're right. You pick up so much along the way and, and you, you I, I do fully believe you ultimately get a, a lot better and you get a lot better perspective. So I feel really privileged that I can kind of call back on different experiences and just like when I was on consulting side I would call back on experiences I had at Mindshare as a digital director uh, and experiences I had at OMD and and use those to help benefit those businesses so I think in that sense I think careers are relatively fluid I'd love nothing more than than to be at Denso in 15 years and, and and feel the same energy I have today and if that happens great and if it's Five years, that's also okay as, as long as I can sort of look myself in the mirror and say I had impact, um, that the business is, is, is better than, than, than what it was when I came in. I, I think that's really the, the, the main sort of yardstick on that. One of the things I've um, always enjoyed about kind of having you in the industry is that you, you do have a point of view on stuff. So let me, let me throw a few hot industry topics at you and just get your, your take on where we're going, you know, which ones are just hype, which ones have something real and impactful. Um, let's start with generative AI. <laughs> That's probably the worst one to ask me that because my, my knowledge of generative AI is, is pretty uh, limited. I haven't as yet seen well, I would think is a particularly compelling use case. I think I've found seen some interesting use cases, but do I think they're compelling and value adding? I'm, I'm not sure. But better chatbots? Maybe. I think I think they they need to get better. They're not great most of the time. Uh, I, I think I read, read a really interesting thing that sort of said, "Oh, uh, 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 generative AI won't won't take your job, but somebody who's well-versed at using it might. I thought I can sort of see that um, because it, it may, may be able to cut down some of the, I don't know, administrative time or 
or, or, or fiddly time. But um, most of the things I've seen generative AI uh, spit out so far in terms of thought pieces or <laughs> or perspectives have have generally been sort of recycled, paraphrase things that we've read before. So so for me, I haven't seen it have the same uh, level of edge as a as a human as yet. But uh, like I said, a pretty limited knowledge uh, of that space. Okay. Uh, retail media. Why is everyone talking about that over the last few months? I think, I mean, everyone is, is talking about it. It's, it's a huge area. I, I just think it's, I think one, it's such a, I think it's such an, an elegant, obvious area for media to exist feels i mean the closest thing i can think of to the advent of retail media is when google or re- actually not google when overture yahoo uh, introduced adwords and you just thought oh, my goodness that's just the most smart thing so and if you think about the wealth generation from from that with, with adwords and, and even you know yahoo historically it, it 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 was transformative absolutely transformed marketing more than anything else I think retail media has the potential to, to be like that. I think for retailers, it's a really like revolutionary um, uh, margin driver in, in an industry that has really, really low margins on the whole, especially, you know, the larger you get. Uh, it, it can be absolutely transformative in terms of, you know, the volume or the percentage of gross gross volume that you can potentially scoop up in retail media. And interestingly on that point, is it, you talked about wealth generation, is that new wealth generation for the retailers or is it wealth transfer away from the traditional media owners? Uh, in other words, should they feel threatened by retail media? Oh, absolutely. They, they should, yep. So I think it's well. It can be. It can be both, right? I think it's for the retailers. It is absolute creative wealth generation. It's it's new money. I think in a lot of instances, it there can be a little bit of left pocket, right pocket. I think trade budgets move move into retail media um, very simply and, and nicely. Uh, if you consider sort of d- demand routing versus demand creation products, the demand routing trade spend very neatly slots in. That's not incremental, I don't think. However, if you think and if you subscribe to Ehrenberg Bass principles around one plus reach of category buyers, which I think most people do, retail media has a huge opportunity in terms of that space, which is not demand routing, which is legitimate demand creation, uh, market share acceleration. Now, you, you need the formats to do that. I don't think you can do that purely on listings and, and, and things that hit people that are already sort of quite way down. But if you can find a way to, to use that data and information on what you would say are more brand preference building channels, uh, it starts to become really compelling. So, so for me, if I was running one of the retail media companies, um, that's where I would be trying to build a really strong case around how how could I, uh, in a really credible sense, uh, uh, suck up budget from television and out of home. Now, there's really compelling uh, other side of the fence cases for TV and out of home as well. So I, th- I think I think everyone benefits um, in terms of 
what will happen around innovation. But but I think if you look at consumer products, you look at CPGs, you look at retail generally, you look at their spend profiles, um, I think retail media can, can really shift that. So the next three years are going to be really interesting in that space. And I think the hype and the interest is absolutely warranted. Are we going to see some specific retail media agencies or departments, do you think? I think so. If you think about what, what an agency does well, is there's executional elements and there's the platform elements and there's intelligence elements. I think the retail media profile is different to other media. So there's going to be most likely new platforms. Um, sometimes the, the, the customer profiles is a little bit different. Uh, and I think the uh, way you need to look at that space is, is different to say a really macro view of consumers that you might get from a general sort of intelligence source. So the question then is, you know, do, do these, they can do sort of one of multiple things. They can sit in existing agencies as a core part of proposition. They can sit as a side thing or a bolt-on. I think you're going to get uh, independent slash kind of, you know, uh, uh, self-contained agencies. Uh, but, but I think when there's the promise of money and ad spend, uh, you, you see, you would have seen, Tim, you know, we've had social, we've had, content we've had video we've had tiktok agencies like there's always somebody uh it's just my view is it it should sit an agency should have an integrated proposition in that area i think it's fundamentally core but that doesn't mean everyone's going to pursue that but yeah i think you may not know the answer to this after three weeks but what what is dentsu planning to do i i do not know the answer to to that i think it's an area that with that that of, of, of course I'm going to look at. I've, I've looked at that area for the last two, two years really closely. Uh, it's, yeah, too, too early to know. Um, but but I, I'd love to think in in due time we, we would have a really strong proposition in that area because I, I think it's really important for clients. I think you, there's not going to be any CP, CPG who's not looking at that. So... Can you compete and pitch on a a big records or a Nestle or something or a Unilever and, and not be really great at that if they came to pitch? I don't know if you could. So I think it's it's going to be a, a core part of, of what, what wins and, and, and who loses in those areas. A couple more quick-fire questions. Um, I'm sure you're, well, you're reasonably well-placed to begin to get visibility this. Economic outlook for 2023. I guess you've spoken to a few clients already. How are you? How are you feeling about the coming year? It's 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 cautious and and I think it's short. But that I don't. If you think pre COVID, uh, nineteen wasn't that dissimilar. It was short, so I don't think that's a new thing. I don't know when the market was last long. To to be <laughs> to be frank, I just don't know whether that's how people operate now. Um, because even if the, the economy is bouncing, um, th- there's still a want to be flexible. So there's definitely caution. Um, but, but, but again, there's, so I spoke on this panel last year and for Retailers Association and there's sort of two things at play. There's kind of the, the data and the sort of theoretical confidence and those different things. If you read them and, and you thought, okay, what does 
Chadston look like or, or Southland, you, you know, and then you actually went there. They're really incongruent. They're really different. So there's still re- reasonable sort of growth out there. I, I think one of those sort of over-the-top complications, the economy that can can be amplified in the industry we work in is that uh, people can look at Google Meta um, results and think they are illustrative of the entire ad market, which I don't believe they are. So you can look at a Google, you know, back 3%, a Facebook back 3% and think, oh, you know, the, the arse is falling out of the market. Uh, or, or you can sort of p- pull back and say, well, are, are there structural things that, that are perhaps causing this uh, that are unrelated to the economy, like, you know, anti-tracking technology or, or general things like that, which I think are, are more the cause. So I think the market will be reasonably flat, uh, low single digits. I do think in, in markets like this that are short um, and are a little bit volatile, that there's huge opportunities for media companies to get double-digit growth uh, if they can demonstrate uh, you know, high links to efficacy and they can deliver re- really sharp uh propositions that sort of only do the things that really work. And so I feel in that sense a, 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 a sort of a turbulent economy is a, is a huge opportunity, I think, because when people are uncomfortable, they, they want really sophisticated answers and, and they've got an appetite for them. So, and, and I think right now we have that, but I, I don't, I'm obviously not an economist, so I don't, I'm saying this with a pretty limited lens on things, but um, I think it's it's sort of a, a watch and wait type situation right now. Well, let's talk briefly about television, I guess arguably still the single most significant um, uh, media channel when it comes to media partnership conversations. Um, if you had to sort of sum up the prospects the current prospects in a sentence each for the three main players so seven nine and ten how would you how would you sum out the sum up the outlook for each of them maybe starting with seven if you like i'll 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 answer that i'll I'll give you a sort of a macro i I think tv is incredibly robust and i think it's done a really good really really good job of um of demonstrating value, especially over the last five years. Uh, and so I don't think you have any real discussions with anybody that disputes the value of the, of the medium. I, I think there's there's just, there's such an influx of alternatives to television. I, I think at some point they will have evolved their strategy to probably compete more aggressively with those. And I'll give you an example. So if you sort of calculate all of the sort of high-end tentpole programming that exists on, on the main SVOD channels, there's 50 to 100 a year. There's 20 at any one time that you could confidently say are probably doing a mil plus. And I think there's only so many hours in the day and so much attention and TV has some awesome formats that command massive attention, but it's just got such a harder job competitively than it has historically um, in terms of just the sheer volume of, of high-end programming. And then the second part is 
the the challenge of getting the high end programming when the, the first port is generally streaming. So I think that's tough. I, I think sevens. Well, they've they've got AFL. They've they've recaptured the cricket. Their, their cricket this year was fantastic. They're trying new formats. They've got a strong BVOD product. Got awesome sales. I think they're in a good position, and I think they've got a momentum to want to keep doing that. With nine similar, uh, they're a. I mean, calling them, I guess, a, a network. You know, I'm probably doing them a disservice. They've they've got a really strong streamer, really strong mastheads. You've got domain, so they've got a legitimate cross proposition. Maths has done pretty well this week. The BVOD numbers are, are are insane. They're they're spectacular. I think it's going to go five hundred plus on on twenty eight day rolling, which is just unthinkable if you think back five or six years ago. Even uh, tennis was 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 really good. Women's tennis was 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 commensurate with with nineteen. Men's wasn't that far um, from that as well. So I think in that sense, they're managing to hold. And I think they're doing a, a, a pretty strong job. So I, I wouldn't, again, imagine those two are very strong uh, and I don't think that's going to change. I think for 10, again, if I think to last night, is a Friday, uh, Taskmaster did a reasonable result. Uh, and I think if you if you focus on pockets in that business, they're really, really interesting. And it's a case of you can't fault their appetite for trying things. So I think the thing that, that sort of can hit the networks is, oh, they don't try enough stuff or the formats are too old. And then then they go out and do new things and then some of those things don't work. And, and I think you, you have to you have to applaud that behaviour even if they don't get there. I think they've had a really good go with with, with A-League. It's, it's not really popping. I don't know if that's to do with them. I think personally they have a huge opportunity with, with NBL as a basketball person. I think that's a really compelling summer sport that somebody should look really closely at. Uh, and I think Paramount Plus from personal consumption has some awesome programming. So I would love to see some of that Paramount Plus programming moved on to the, the main channel. Potentially, you know, if you think about things like Yellowstone or you know, moving earlier seasons of those onto the main channels as a way of maybe getting people uh, to then then migrate onto to plus, I think wouldn't be the worst strategy. And I think the content's excellent. So you got SBS and NITV. You got three percent pledge on NITV. So I think TV is holding up. I, I, I think I would expect it over the next sort of two years to, well, I hope to, to fight a bit harder against some of the SVODs. And I think the way you fight is with programming uh, and more programming. And, and and so I would expect that to happen. I'm conscious that I'm going to run out of your run out of your time at some point, Ben. So I want to get a couple more questions in as well. Well, well you have the time. Um, you're, you're obviously in a scene in a very senior role now within an agency way back in the day, you worked media side, including at junkie media. Um, now media agency executives are actually, notoriously hard to get hold of for those hardworking people in media sales. Um, so what is your advice to that kind of hungry media salesperson who wants to get your attention or your client's attention? What should they do? Oh, 
I'll use myself as, a, as an example uh, in terms of what generally seems to work with me, generally not always. Tickets to the basketball? No, no. I, I think le- leading with, um, well, well, have you got any briefs? Never works. Uh, that, that, that never works. I think going over an agency person's head is, is always going to not do anybody any favours. Those things are very, very common. So I would say that they don't, they don't work. Um, I think what does, I think leading with product can be difficult uh, because product without a problem to point it at is, is really not, not that interesting. So there's probably two ways I would say, and I'll, I'll give you an example of, of, of both. Leading with insights that help you understand an audience is a pretty good way of doing it, but, and it's, it's a big but, it has to be like legitimately interesting. <laughs> so, so, and, and it's probably 10% is interesting, but uh, Neil Ackland, who's a friend of mine, my old boss, and he's now CMO at O, he's really good at finding ways to generate something compelling out of research and then packaging it in a way that is just interesting for 40 minutes. So even if I'm not working on brands, that need to advertise on O, I probably will go watch Neil present that because I will find it interesting and I'll probably use it in meetings or conversations. So that that's that's tough, but but I think it's it's a really good investment in terms of return. The other thing that's sort of worked well for, for me is is finding ways to solve a, a client problem or seeing a little client problem as a customer and then trying to find a way to sort of link it to your product. When I worked at um, OMD, Coles was a big client, you know, absolute focus of ours. And there was somebody from Playground XYZ who, who found this way, sort of found this little niggling issue that he or she had when looking at basically ads on mobile and then developed this mock of how you could fix that. And it wouldn't have taken them that long, but our view was, wow, like that probably impacts a million people. Solving that could create this amazing thing and we took it straight to the client with the mock. And, and, and again, that's this real art and the execution of that. Uh, but I think beforehand I'd probably tried other angles that hadn't worked, but that, that, that angle works. And I think once you've got that angle and then you can prove things, uh, you know, you can start to repeat it. So those are probably the two things I find high efficacy that work really well. Um, and generally, in most times, I will lean very heavily into those two. My last question for me, what would your critics say about you? And what would your supporters say about you? My critics would say that I'm too critical of the work that my critics do. That's generally something you'd hear or, you know, too critical or too negative. And, and I think often uh, curiosity, if it's you know, not in a way that, that people like hearing, can, can be quite easily compartmentalised as being critical. So I think my critics would say I'm critical. I think my supporters would say I am very enthusiastic and engaged and interested in their businesses and that they would trust me to, to always do the right thing by them. So I, I think that's the, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think it, 
I sort of lean more towards the supporter view. Um, but but I, I think that that would be what, yeah, my supporters would, would say about me. Ben, it's been really great chat. It went on for twice the amount of time I promised you. So thank you very much for finding that time and thank you for your time. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Today's podcast was produced by the fine folk at Abe's Audio. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.